So last week we looked at the book of Exodus. We started out in chapter 1 and we saw that the people of God, uh, the Israelites, were, were left in captivity and bondage and slavery uh, under a wicked empire under a empire that caused them to do heavy labor with no pay. And, and we saw that actually that the Pharaoh and the Egyptians were actually afraid of the Hebrew people because the Hebrew people were being so blessed by God. And so what, and we even saw that even as the, the Egyptians tried to oppress the Hebrews even more, that the Bible said that God just blessed them even more. So the more the enemy comes against you, that's just a sign God's going to bless you. Amen. That's not me. So if you're if you were one of those people that Pastor Katie was talking to a minute ago and said, you know, you need a breakthrough. There's there's something you're praying, and, and it seems like the enemy is coming against you. That's nothing to be worried about. That's just a sign that blessings are coming your way. That if you stay faithful, God's going to take care of you, and He's going to bless you, and He's going to turn what the enemy meant for evil against you for good. Amen. Amen. So we saw all that in Scripture. We read about the, the midwives who were just the heroes of that early story and how they uh, saved the lives of a generation of young men in Israel. And we read about Moses and how his mother hid him in a basket in the reeds. And, and that same river that Moses should have drowned in was the river that brought Moses to safety and to his ultimate destiny. And then we, we actually read, too, where Moses grew up and he found out that he was a Hebrew and that uh, because of his anger about how the Hebrews were being treated, he struck an Egyptian down and uh, then he became a fugitive and he was out in the wilderness for 40 years. And we saw even then how God used that because not only did Moses learn how to be a leader in the palace of Egypt, but he also learned how to be a leader in the wilderness. And God was using every event in, God, in Moses' life to bring him to where God wanted him to be. Amen? And so we kind of ended there, at the end of the wilderness story where Moses has an experience with the burning bush. And, and God calls to him and says, you're going to go back to Egypt. And I'm going to call you to go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. That's where we ended last week. And we're going to pick up right there this week. Look at Exodus chapter 4, verse 10. It says that Moses said to the Lord... Oh, my Lord, this is at the burning bush, right after God calls Moses to, to go to Egypt and set his people free. He says, Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. And the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. So Moses is at the burning bush and God has called him to be a prophet that would go and back to Egypt and speak to Pharaoh for God, let my people go and then lead the people of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. And Moses is, gives an argument. Don't, don't we all do that when God calls us to something, we come up with some excuse? That's not just me, is it? No. So God speaks to him, says, go do this. And Moses is like, well, uh, I need an excuse. What's my excuse? Why, why should I be, be able to get out of this? What, what, what should I just say? What should I do? And he says, oh, I know. God, I have a speech impediment. You told me to go and speak for your people and speak for you. You picked the wrong guy, God, because I can't speak well. That's what he, he looks for some kind of excuse. And don't you love that about God? God finds the guy who can't speak well and says, go speak for me. He finds the one that seems the least qualified and says, that's who I'm going to use. And because I use you, people will know it's God because you couldn't have done that on your own. 
Amen? My point number one in this story is that when you're seeking out freedom from an attack of the enemy, God provides the words you need. He provides the words you need. He told Moses, he said, Moses, I know that you're slow of speech. That's why I picked you. I know that you have trouble speaking and you have stage fright. and You're afraid of public speaking. That's why I picked you. Do you know how many preachers get called into the ministry and they grew up and they had a stutter or they were, they were terribly afraid and had stage fright or they had high anxiety, but God calls them anyway and God uses them? Why? Because God uses the foolish things to confound the wise. God uses the weak and makes them strong through his grace. He wants people to see, I can do the impossible. I can use the guy who can't talk and he can speak for me. I can use the guy who can't sing, but he can still lead worship for me. I can use the guy who can't play, but he can still he can still play an instrument beautifully for me. I can use the one who isn't strong. He's, he's scrawny. He's weak. He doesn't have any natural strength in him, but I can use him to lead an army. God chooses the unqualified because he wants people to see it's not what's in you that makes the difference. It's the God in you that makes the difference. Amen. He says, you, I will give you the words that you need in order to get free. Now, apply that to your and my life. What does that mean in our lives? What all of us, we know in Scripture that over and over again, after the book of Exodus in the Bible, that the Bible will, will for the rest of the, the, the text, for the rest of the thousands of pages of the Scripture, will use Egypt as a metaphor for our own sin, our own sin, slavery to sin, our own shortcomings. And God over and over again will say, I, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. I'm bringing you out of slavery. I'm bringing whatever bondage, whatever junk you're in, whatever idolatry you're into, whatever false religion you're involved, that's Egypt. And we're leaving Egypt. We're not staying in Egypt. But you're going to need to know what to say in order to get out of Egypt. You've got to have the right words to say. And so he tells Moses, I will be with you. I will be with your mouth and I will teach you what you shall speak. Listen, if you want to get free from whatever's going on in your life, if you want to get free from your sin, if you want to get free from your bondage and from your slavery, you have to start changing how you talk. You have to start changing the words that you say. You can't get free from addiction if all you do is say, I'm an addict. If that becomes your identity and that's what you call yourself and that's what you speak over yourself, you'll never get free. You'll always live under that label if you keep calling yourself that. If you want your son or your daughter to get free from whatever they're going through, you can't start keep saying, well, they're always going to be like that and nothing's going to change. No, you look to the word of God and you start speaking the words of God over that child's life. And you say, she is fearfully and wonderfully made. God knew her before she was even formed in the womb and he knit her together with a plan and a purpose and he gives you the words you need to say in order to got, find your way to freedom if you keep using curses out of your mouth you're going to stay cursed but if you start using blessings out of your mouth and the word of God out of your mouth you're going to find blessings and you're going to find freedom in Jesus name look at what Jesus said in uh, Luke chapter 12 he's talking to his disciples and he's telling his disciples that you know the people are going to persecute you if you follow me people are going to come against you the enemy is going to come against you if you start to follow me. The religious officials and the government officials, they're not going to like you for preaching my name. And they're going to make false accusations against you. And they're going to try to kill you. And they're going to try to come after you. And he says this in verse, 12, in verse 11 of chapter 12 of Luke, Jesus says, and when they bring you to court, 
When they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what to say. Have you ever had someone uh, make an, a false accusation against you? Have you ever had someone come and say, you're a hypocrite? I, I know you go to church on Sundays, but I see how you live the rest of the week. Have you ever had someone come to you and say, you know, I, 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 I know that what you say is it, it, what you say you believe, but I, you know, I've seen what you've done, and I know your past, and I know the things that you've done, and you can get anxious, and you can get worried, and you can say, but God, Jesus says, when people come against you and accuse you, don't you worry. If you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, I will give you the words to say to, to clear your name and also to glorify my name, to point people to me. You know, um, you might get nervous sometimes when you, as you start to grow in the Lord and as a disciple of Jesus, you find out that to be a disciple means you have to go and make disciples. You haven't, I would even argue this, you haven't really become a disciple until you've started making disciples. That one rests there for a second. But when you start and you get answer that call and you realize that it's not the preacher's job to go and get people saved. The preacher's job is to build you up and encourage you so that you can go out and tell people about Jesus. And you say, okay, well, I see that in the scripture and I know that that's true. So I've got to get some boldness to go out and share the gospel and share the good news of Jesus with people that I meet and people that I, that I talk to and people I have influence over. And of course, the first thing is, well, what if they say no? Or what if they make fun of me? Or what if they reject me? Or what if they, uh, what if, what if they have an argument? What if they want to debate me? All those kinds of things. Jesus says, look at Luke, Luke 21 verse 15. He says, I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. In other words, when you go out and you start speaking for me, if you'll listen to the Holy Spirit, I'll give you the words to say. I will give you wisdom and how to answer people when they they ask you questions. I'll give you such wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict you. I'll be, I will be your mouthpiece. You just open your mouth. I'll fill it. Now, if you want to know how to use words in order to find freedom in your life, you have to know the word. If you don't know the word, how can I, how can I know that the thought that pops in my head is God or not? How can I know that that, that, uh, that impression and that leading that I have from the Holy Spirit, you know, we, uh, people ask all the time, they say, Pastor, how do I know if the Lord is speaking to me? Does it sound like Jesus when he's talking to you? Well, I don't know. Well, then maybe get in the word and find out what Jesus has already said. Because if you know what he's already said, if you know what his word already says, you'll know when something's off. You know, when you, uh, they, they, you've heard this story before, preachers use this illustration all the time, but I'll use it again just in case you haven't heard it. When bankers are learning how to tell what a counterfeit is and then to recognize a counterfeit bill when it's brought to you, they don't give you counterfeit bills to study and say this is the telltale sign that it's counterfeit. That's not what they give you. No, you study the real deal. You know what it feels like. You know what that money tastes like. And, 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 and yeah, even you, you know the, the texture of it. You know the smell of it. You know the scent of it. You know every single little marking on that bill. You know every single little uh, uh, watercolor mark on that bill. You know everything there is to know about that dollar bill so that when you touch something or you feel something or you hold something that isn't real, you know it's not real because because you know the real thing so well. 
So it, it applies the same way in God's word. If you want to know if God is speaking, if you want to know if, the, if God's speaking through the preacher, if you want to know if the Holy Spirit is speaking into your heart, if you already know what he's already said, if you spent time in the book, you'll be able to recognize his voice. I'll use another example. You remember uh, before uh, caller ID? You got to be at least like my age or older to remember that. So 30 and above, you remember when you had a phone and someone called on the phone, you had no idea who was on the other end when you picked it up. I know that's like mind-blowing now. I don't even answer if I don't recognize the number anymore, you know? Like I, it just, it blows my mind that we used to just pick up the phone and whoever was there, we were going to talk to him. But you know, think about this. This is, this is how I like to think about it. When I was a, a young teenager, a preteen, we didn't have caller ID and we only had the one phone line in the house, you know, and you wanted to uh, uh, call a girl or a guy wanted to call a girl or a girl wanted to call a guy. And, you know, when you first pick up the phone and you answer it and, or you're calling um, your, you, the girl you're interested in or whatever and her mom answers the phone, that was the most awkward thing. Can you believe that? Teenagers are like, wait, you had to talk to her mom before you could talk to her? Yeah, you did. And it was very awkward. <laughs> and, you know, sometimes you answer the phone and you weren't sure who you were talking to on the other end. And you couldn't tell whose voice that was on the other end of the line. But the more time you spent with the person that you got used to calling, the more time you spent talking to them, the more time you spent hearing their voice, the easier it was to recognize their voice when you picked up. And you knew, and that's the way it is with God. If you want to know God's words when he's speaking to you, you have to know what he's already spoken in his word, in the book. You have to know his word. Why do we, are we doing Fire Institute on Sunday nights and reading so much scripture? Because I want you as your pastor, I want you to know the word so that you know when the Holy Spirit speaks to you, that was the spirit because it lines up with what I've read in the word and he's leading me deeper and he's growing me and he's maturing me. And that's why, and if you want freedom, God will give you the words to bring you to freedom. He's already given us thousands of words here. He'll speak to you on a personal level, but you can't know he's speaking to you on a personal level until you spent time knowing what he's already spoken to you. But God provides the words we need for freedom. Amen? Number two, if you're looking for freedom, if you're looking for breakthrough, God provides the weapons you need. God provides the weapons you need. Look at Exodus chapter 3. We're going to go back one chapter. Exodus chapter 3 verse 8. 18, excuse me. It says here in verse 18, it says, You and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. Now let us go out a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. God is saying, you know what? The devil doesn't give up without a fight. He's saying, you know what? You can just go and say, I want freedom. I want freedom from sin. I want freedom from addiction. I want freedom from depression, anxiety, and fear. And you can tell the devil that all you want to, but he's not going to just let you go. He's going to fight you on your way out. But God says, you got to understand, he's going to fight you, but I'm going to fight him. He fights you, but I fight him. 
Watch that. He says he's going to come. He's not going to want you to go. He's going to try to keep you in his grips. He's going to try to keep you in slavery. And he's not going to let you go unless he's forced to. But I will stretch out my hand and I will strike Egypt. I will strike Satan. I will strike your enemy. I will strike addiction with the wonders that I will do. And so God said, Moses says, what do I do? How do I, how do I make this happen? And so the story goes that, you know, he's at the burning bush and, and God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do wonders in Egypt that are going to make the Pharaoh let your people go. And, and Moses says, how and why and how do I do it? And, and God says, what? you got that staff in your hand. Throw that staff on the ground. And Moses throws the staff on the ground and when it hits the ground, it turns into a serpent. And then it says, I love it. It's really funny if you read this story. Go back and read it. Because Moses throws the staff on the ground. It turns into a serpent. It says, Moses ran. <laughs> That's what I would be doing too. And God says, hey, come back and pick him up by the tail. And when he goes and picks that, that serpent up, it turns back into a staff. And God says, That's sign. That's a sign for Pharaoh when you go. Later on in the story, when Moses is standing before Pharaoh, Moses casts down his staff before Pharaoh and says, this is the God. This is the God that I'm serving that can turn a, staff, a, a dead piece of wood into a living serpent. And, Moses, and the Pharaoh goes and gets his magicians and his, his uh, 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 priests, and they, they go and they get some sticks, and they are able to do the same thing. See, sometimes the enemy does have power, and he can do things that will make you think he's right. But I love it because they create a couple of snakes too. These priests and these, uh, these uh, magicians of the Pharaoh's court. And they create a couple of serpents. But Moses' serpents eats those. Moses picks up the staff and goes on. God gives you weapons to fight. He gives you the weapons you need. Uh, there are other in that story in Exodus chapter 3 uh, where God says, pick, throw the staff down and pick it up. And it's a serpent. He also, he says, put your, I'll show you what kind of God I am. He says, put your, put your hand in your shirt. And he, he tells Moses, go and stick your hand under your, under, under your garment. And Moses does. And when he pulls it out, it's white with leprosy. It's just full of disease on his hand. And then God says, now put it back in there again. And he puts it back under his shirt and pulls it out. And it's completely healed. And God's saying, you know what? I'm the God who can bring a plague. And I'm the God who can take a plague away. I will give you the weapons you need. And then he says, and if none of that works, if you can't prove to Pharaoh, then go get some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the ground. And as you pour that water out on the Nile River, that water is going to, from the Nile River, that water, when it hits the dust, is going to turn to blood. And that's going to show, show Pharaoh, I'm a God who can take the very thing that you depend on. The Nile River was so important to the life of Egypt. And he said, I'm the God who has power over this river. Then... He goes, and we know the story. Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh says, I'm not going to let my people go. And Moses says, if you don't let them go, then you're, gonna, you're fighting against God. And God will come against you with ten plagues. And over and over and over again in the book of Exodus, we see where God brings a plague against the people of Egypt. And the people of Israel are always spared from the plague. It's, it's so incredible that they're living right next door to each other. And, and the plague will be happening across the street, but it won't be happening where the Israelites live. God knows how to fight your enemy. Amen? He knows how to fight our enemy better than we know how to fight our enemy. We think we've got it figured out. I can beat this thing on my own. I can just argue my way out of it. I can convince somebody on my own. I can find freedom on my own. No, God knows how to fight. And we see the ten plagues of Egypt that go on. And every time a plague comes, the Pharaoh comes begging to Moses and says, Oh, pray that God would take this plague off of me and I'll let you go. But as soon as the plague gets lifted, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he says, Never mind, I'm going to keep you because the plague's over. There are plagues 
like the, the entire Nile River turned to blood. It said that the whole place stank. They didn't have any water to drink. It took, the fish died. Everything was awful. The second plague was the plague of frogs. And it said there was frogs in their bed and frogs in their kitchen and in their food. And all the frogs died and they rotted in people's homes and in their kitchens. And it just smelled awful. And then there was, uh, there was gnats. And I, I'm, we live in Arkansas, and have y'all had these gnats lately? Listen, we've had maybe a few dozen gnats around. There were literally millions and billions of gnats all over Egypt, and they swarmed both men and beasts. And then Pharaoh said, get these gnats away from here. Pray for the Lord. Pray to the Lord that he would deliver us from these gnats. And Moses prays, and then Pharaoh says, never mind. You can't go. I'm going to keep you. So God sends a swarm of flies, and they infest the land, and all the food was ruined by flies. And then the next plague was God destroyed all the beasts of burden in Egypt, all the horses, all the camels, all of the, all of the oxen were destroyed and, and uh, brought on a plague and they all died. And then the next plague was boils. We, boils on your skin and all over your body. And it says that every person in Egypt was covered with these abscesses and infection and they, they were sick and they were in pain. And then there was a storm of hail that came. Hail that was the largest, the Bible says, that had ever been known before. And that heavy hail, it struck down men in the fields and beasts in the field. And it struck down every plant and tree and struck down the crops of Egypt. And they had no food to eat. And then it said God sent locusts. And God sent locusts and covered the land so that anything that was living after the hailstorm, the locusts ate all of that. And then uh, you couldn't even see the ground, the Bible says. They were so swarmed with locusts and it ate every plant that was left by the hail. And then darkness. There was no light in the land for three days. The enemy couldn't see which way he was going. They didn't have any light. It almost implies that even candles didn't provide light and even fire didn't provide light. It was totally pitch black, all except where the Israelites lived. God gives you the weapons to fight for your freedom. I love that scripture in the Old Testament where the, they're getting ready to go into battle and God says, listen, hey, the victory is already mine. The battle is not yours. It's the Lord's. Stand still and see the victory of the Lord. He knows how to fight our battles for us. Now, we know in the New Testament that we don't fight against other human beings, that actually even other human beings that might seem like our enemies or people that might come against you or me, no matter whether that's a relational issue or a political issue or a religion, whatever it is, that actually there's just behind that human behavior, there is a spiritual force. And we have a real enemy, but it's not flesh and blood. We have an enemy who is the Satan, the, the devil that we read in Scripture. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we are not waging war according to the flesh for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to uh, destroy strongholds in other words we're not fighting with physical weapons against physical people we're fighting with spiritual weapons against spiritual forces we don't wage war on people we wage for war on the enemy we wage war on the principalities and the powers that come against God's kingdom and every time that the kingdom goes against the kingdom of darkness the kingdom of light will always always win and listen worldly weapons don't work against spiritual forces and yeah 
Now you say, well, we're not fighting anything and we're not picking up swords and spears and that. No, we're not doing all that. But listen, we all have our weapons we use to get our way. You might not have a sharp sword, but you got a sharp tongue. And you use your words, and it's a natural weapon to get your way and to browbeat somebody down. Or some of us, we use money as a tool to manipulate people and, and get what we want out of people. And we're trying to, uh, to make sure we get our way. And God is saying, no, you don't fight like the world fights. And you don't use the weapons that the world uses. You trust me and watch me do what I want to do in your life. Swords and spears and tanks and nukes, they are inadequate to defeat the enemy. They will never demolish Satan's strong hold in your life. Only weapons that are provided by God are adequate to resist the evil forces of this world. And let me just share with you a couple of those weapons. Our weapons are truth. Truth will always win out in front of a lie. Truth will always be victorious over a lie. Our weapons are faith. When, every, when the world is hopeless and in despair, we have the shield of faith. We have the belt of truth. We have the sword of the spirit. Our weapons are love. When the world uses hate to keep people down and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness to keep to oppress and to keep people, we use love. We love people, and that is the weapon that wins people over. We, our weapons are the word of God. We go to his word, and we say, you know what? My words don't make a difference, but God's word do make a difference. And God's word and my mouth has power. And so when people come against me, I can quote and run to the scripture. And that is my weapon. What's another weapon we have? Persistent prayer. Prayer is a weapon in your life. And notice I said persistent prayer, not just little patty cake prayers, not just little pansy prayers that just say, you know, no, I'm talking about some bold, persistent until I get a breakthrough, until I get prayed through, until the burden is lifted, until I see a miracle, until I see God do something, I'm going to keep praying. What's another weapon? Holiness. If you, you cannot defeat the enemy until you commit to a life in pursuit of holiness. As long as he knows, as long as the enemy knows that you're willing to compromise with sin. As long as the enemy knows you're willing to, I'll just keep my little pet sins and I'll try to get rid of most of my sins, but I'll keep my favorite ones. That's not commitment to holiness. And he will keep you in slavery with just that one little sin that you think it is. It's bigger than you think it is, but you're making it sound like it's little. And if you would commit your life to holiness, I'm not saying you're perfect, but you say, I'm in pursuit of perfection. I'm in pursuit of victory over every single sin in my life. That is a weapon against the enemy. He will keep you in chains until you say, no matter what it costs, no matter what it looks like, I'm going to pursue a life of holiness. Another weapon, fasting. When you say, you know what, I'm going to deny the world and I'm going to deny the flesh and I'm going to deny my basic material needs and strengthen my inner spiritual man, that is a weapon for you. What's another weapon? Praise and worship. When you come in here and you say you've had a rough week and it's been a rough seven days since the last time you were here, you could come in and you could say, you know what, I'm not going to wait till the worship gets good to praise and I'm not going to wait for somebody else to whip me up. This is my weapon. The enemy has been fighting me all week and from the very first first note from the very first uh, string that is that is that is strummed and for uh, from the very first key that is played I'm going to praise and I'm going to worship I love that song says this is how I fight my battles right amen that when I come into the presence of God when I lift up God's name when I worship him no matter what I've been going through the enemy shakes in fear our weapons the Bible says are not of the flesh 
but they are strong in might. They have divine power to destroy strongholds. I love the story in 2 Kings of the, the, the people of Israel, the nation of Syria is coming to attack the, the nation of Israel. And there's this story of the prophet Elisha. And Elisha is looking out his window with his assistant, his, his, uh, his uh, protege. And, and they're looking out the window and they see the enemy's army marching down the valley, thousands of this powerful army of Syria. And the assistant says to, to the prophet, he says, Master, what shall we do? And I love the prophet. He says, don't be afraid for those who are with us are more than those who are against us. And the, the assistant is obviously confused because there's no Israelite army there. It's just the enemy army coming in. And the prophet prays and he says, Lord, please open this young man's eyes that he may see. And the Bible says that God opened the young man's eyes to see in the spirit realm. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire all around them. And then it says the prophet prayed. So the, the, march, the enemy natural army is marching down the valley and it looks like they're outnumbered. And God says, show him, God, what's really going on. And the, the, the assistant looks and he sees all the mountains all around them are just filled with, with angelic armies, chariots of fire, horses and chariots of fire that are there to fight on God's behalf. And the Bible says that the prophet prayed again and that enemy army was struck with blindness where it didn't know where to go. The entire army was blind all of a sudden as they're marching through the valley. And Elisha comes down the hill and goes to the front of the enemy army. And he says, hey, all you're in the wrong city. Let me lead you where you need to go. And Elisha leads the enemy army within the fortress of the Israelites, where now the enemy army is surrounded by the Israelite army. He takes it, he prays again, and their, their blindness is lifted off them. They realize they've been trapped. And the, the army of Israel has victory over an army that outnumbered them. Why? Because God knows how to fight our battles. God will provide us the weapons we need. This is the word of the Lord this morning for you. This battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. Stand still, still and see the deliverance of the Lord. Finally, just the last plague I want to speak on for just a moment. Look at Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12. I'm almost done. Exodus chapter 12, verse 7 says, Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. Skip down to verse 12. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you and on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you and destroy you when I strike against the land of Egypt. My third point today is that God provides the waiver you need. God provides the words we need. He provides the weapons we need. And finally, he provides the waiver we need. The last plague of Egypt. Oh, nine times already the Pharaoh has refused to let God's people go. And Moses tells him, he warns him ahead of time. He says, the last plague, God's going to take every firstborn son of the nation of Egypt. And God tells the Israelites, he says, 
I'm getting ready to come, and I'm gonna, the, the death angel is going to come, and he's going to take the life of every firstborn of man and livestock. And when I come, if you will go and you'll sacrifice a lamb, and you'll take the blood of that lamb, and you'll take a hyssop branch, and you'll take that, that, that blood of that lamb, and you'll, you'll spread the blood over the doorpost and the lintel of every house for the people of Israel. When I come, that blood will be a sign. I will see the blood, and I will pass over and no plague will befall you or destroy you. A waiver is a document you sign that releases someone from penalty or consequence. When you, uh, when you uh, go um, to uh, certain uh, adventures, when you go on certain adventures and you're going to, uh, maybe it's uh, skydiving or maybe it's bungee jumping or something, they're going to make you sign a waiver before you get out of that plane. They're going to make sure that you sign away, that you, they're not responsible if anything goes wrong. It's a waiver that releases them from consequence. And that's what the blood was for the people of Israel. They, the blood was a waiver saying there's a consequence coming to the land of Egypt, but if you'll put that blood over your door, that'll be your waiver. I will go over, I will pass over your house as I'm seeking out the firstborn. When uh, we were in the lockdown last year and, and they were saying, and our state wasn't as strict as other states, but you, you couldn't even go anywhere. You had to stay home for several weeks. And the only people who could go were what they called essential workers. And so you had to carry a piece of paper with you if you were an essential worker and that, that described your job. That was a waiver and a waiver for an essential that you can't pull me over and you can't stop me and you can't make me go home because I've got a waiver. I've got freedom because I've got this waiver in my hand. And this is what the, the blood was for the people of Israel. Death was coming. Death was a certainty for the land of Egypt at this time. But the blood of the lamb is the waiver releasing the enemy from any claim over my life. The waiver releasing me from the claims of sin and death and hell and the grave. That I could find freedom because I had put the waiver of blood over my household. God provides what you need when death is coming. When destruction is coming. He provides the waiver that you need. And then we see in the New Testament that that blood that was, that was spread over the door in Exodus was actually a symbol for what was going to come in the future. We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that Paul, the apostle, says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. That you and I, the blood of Jesus, has been spread over our lives and over our hearts if we'll receive him as Lord. And he is the waiver by which Satan has no claim over my life. That no attack on his life will succeed because I'm covered by the blood. In Hebrews, it talks about how in the Old Testament that there was the blood of bulls and goats that they would use for temporary forgiveness of sin. But the problem with the blood of bulls and goats was it wasn't a perfect sacrifice. It was a temporary sacrifice that could cover sin of the people of Israel. But Jesus is the perfect sacrifice that provides eternal salvation and eternal forgiveness from sin. The, old, the blood of bulls and goats and of lambs, that covered sin, Jesus' blood cleansed from sin. You see the difference there? It's not just sweeping sin under a rug anymore. It's getting the stuff out of the house. It's completely cleansing. That is what the blood of Jesus is. When we're trying to find freedom from whatever's going on in our life, maybe it's an attack from the enemy. Maybe it's a financial freedom. Maybe it is freedom from a sickness or an illness. Or maybe it's freedom from some kind of bondage or dependency. Whatever it might be, the blood of Jesus has paid the price for our freedom. And 
And you remember what I told you last week. I said, when God promised them, when he finally brought Israel out of Egypt, he promised, he said, they're going to pay you to leave. And that's exactly what happened on this night. They spread the blood over the doorpost, and God said, keep your staff in your hand and keep your shoes on because you're leaving Egypt tonight. And the, when the it said that screams came up from Egypt because people went to their rooms and saw their babies dead and saw their livestock dead. Just imagine the blood-curdling scream if you're not covered with the blood that's going to come when, when death comes your way. And he says, you know what, but if you've got the blood, they're going to come and they are say, get out of here. We don't want any more plagues. We don't want to make God our enemy anymore. Here, take our stuff with you. We'll pay you to leave as long as you will get God to relent off of us. And, the, and see, God knows how to make you your enemy sorry for ever coming against you. He knows how to make your enemy regret ever coming against your life. He will kick the devil in the teeth and hold him down. I love what C.S. Lewis said on the back of Satan's neck. There is a nail-scarred footprint that Jesus has already stepped on the neck of the devil. He has already conquered the enemy. The blood of Jesus is the waiver that sets you free from any claim of death, sin, or hell in our lives. One last scripture, 2 Peter verse 1. Pastor Katie, you can come. Second Peter verse 1 says, by his Christ's divine power, he has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. What does that mean? He has given us everything we need for freedom. He's given us everything we need to be free from sin. He's given us everything we need to be free from despair. He's given us everything we need to be free from loneliness and, and, and uh, separation. He's given us freedom from hell. He's given us freedom from the consequences of our sin. He's given us freedom from the chain. Everything I need, he's already provided. The blood of Jesus spread on the door, provided everything the people of Israel needed that night to find freedom. That was the last thing. That was the sign. That was the, that was the sign that, that freedom's coming to your house tonight when you apply the blood over your household. And that was just a temporary symbol of the eternal truth that the blood of Jesus, that he is our perfect Passover lamb. That we don't apply the blood of Jesus to our doorposts anymore. We apply the blood of Jesus to our heart. That when we apply the blood of Jesus to our lives, that's not just a ticket for temporary forgiveness. That is a ticket for eternal freedom. That it's not just, I'll forgive you so you can keep on doing what you're doing. It's no, I'm going to cleanse you. I'm going to deliver you from the entire situation. It's going to provide everything you need. The blood of Jesus provides everything I need for my material possessions. And why do we give to the Lord? Why do we worship God through giving tithes and offerings? Because our source isn't really our paycheck. Our source is God himself. And we give back to him everything that he's given us. Why do we worship? Why do we come in every Sunday and dedicate our time to worship God and spend time with him? Because 
It says, when we draw near to him, when he calls us to himself, he gives us everything we need. Why is church so important? Because it's where you have, you'll find everything you need. Why is reading your scriptures so important? It's because you'll find wherever, you'll find there whatever you need. Why is, uh, is spending time in prayer so important? Because when you draw close to him, you find everything you need in your pursuit of freedom. This scripture is saying that when he calls us to himself, he gives us everything we need.